0: Again, Morning. Morning. happy third week of Advent. Um, I had this painting done by uh, Madison Wozniak. Well, she put this together, and I, I told her I wanted I wanted to be following the characters of the Christmas story. Um, it was kind of what I pictured us doing during Advent is following these expert expectors, uh, the people that that hoped well. And we're just kind of falling in line for people who, who look to Christ. Because if you're behind someone who's really focused on Christ and you're following them, then, like, you will get there too. And so I want to follow, I mean, in this painting, it's Mary and Joseph, but today we'll be looking at uh, Elizabeth, specifically. Now you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Uh, again, we've been there before. We're, and we're here again. It's a long chapter. Um, and I want to remind you that Uh, next week is the last Sunday of Advent, but the last day of Advent is Christmas Eve and there will be a Christmas Eve service at North Fork Christian Center at 6pm and then following Christmas we'll have our our, our week of prayer meetings Um, please come for as many as you can Uh, come for at least one uh, prayer meeting um, here at the church, 6.30 Monday through Friday, the week after Christmas, starting on the 27th um, I'm still not at the one. Oh, okay. No, Mark, there we go. That's around, around, the right part. Let's pray. Let's pray again, Jesus. Oh, we are looking to you. We're looking to you, hoping for you, desiring you, to desire every uh, every nation, every heart. And and you say hope does not disappoint. We pray that. That in seeking you, we would find you just as promised. Um, and that in seeking you, we would be cultivating this hope and developing this discipline of, of expecting better, of hoping more, of desiring you more fervently. Lord, you give us joy, and, and we want it. We want the joy of being in your presence. So we, pray, we pray, reveal yourself to us, show yourself to us, come be with us and let us be with God through Christ. Amen. Amen. O come, o come, Emmanuel. That's the best one. That's the best Christmas song right there. Um, so the last two weeks, we have looked at um, two men who begin the Christmas story. In Luke's account, he begins with uh, Zacharias. In Matthew's Christmas account, he begins with Joseph. Now, for the next two weeks, we'll be, look, we'll be meeting their wives, uh, Elizabeth today, and then Mary next Sunday. The week after that, which is the day after Christmas, I'll be giving a message on the need for prayer, starting off our week of prayer meetings to finish up the year. What well, we know of Elizabeth, we know in conjunction with other characters. We know her from Zacharias' story, and we know her from her meeting with Mary, and we know her as the mother of John the Baptist. Uh, she's like a, a supporting character here for all of these other relationships and characters. So in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we read these verses when we studied Zacharias. We're going to read them again um, as, we, as we look to Elizabeth. And then we'll skip down to verse 39 and read 39 through 45 as well. So Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Actually, I'll, I'll skip down to verse 24 first. It says, Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months saying thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people and then we we see her again in verse 39 this story says now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment. Of those things which were told her from the Lord. When we first meet Zacharias, we meet Elizabeth in the same sentence in, in verses 5 through 7. We, we see uh, first that Elizabeth is from a good family and she follows the rules. Uh, it says his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. She was righteous, she was blameless. She was just. She was, you know, from a good family. The, all the, these same words, righteous, just, blameless, are used to describe Zacharias and Joseph, the other characters that we've already met. She was a keeper of the law. She came from a good family. She was from a good neighborhood. But the most notable thing about Elizabeth, pre angel, is that she was empty. Now, when we talked about Zacharias, I pointed this out, and it bears repeating that God works in empty places on purpose. He creates empty things in order to be the thing that fills them up. He looks for empty places as prime real estate to place his blessings. So Elizabeth, it says, was barren. The Greek word is is stira. It's where we get the word sterile, sterile. So the first thing we learn about Elizabeth is that she's from a good religious family, a daughter of Aaron. We learn that she and her husband are both righteous before God, that they keep the commandments without fail. But we also learn that these things did not bring life to her. She kept the law of God, but she had not been rewarded for it from, some, you know, from many people's perspectives. So while the first thing we learn from her is that she's good, the most important thing that we learn about her for this story is is that there is good that she has not experienced. She was barren. And she was now too old to hope for anything but continued barrenness. Again, a couple weeks ago we talked about Zacharias and how he was given the promise of the Lord from Gabriel himself and how he doubted and was judged for it. At the end of the section we read that week, we came to verses 24 and 25, and I'll read those again. It says, After those days his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people." This bit about the five months is interesting. Uh, A few reasons for this have been suggested. Older commentators suggested that pregnant women just did this normally, and that's not true and also kind of ridiculous. Uh, But something to consider, that at five months, Elizabeth's old clothes probably aren't fitting quite as well as they used to anymore. If she goes out and about at five months, people are beginning to ask questions, advice, and the belly pats, perhaps, are starting to begin. If word had gotten around about Zachariah's vision, people would be incredulous. People probably doubted the authenticity of it, and Elizabeth doesn't need to engage in any of that, not until the promise is confirmed and she comes into the world belly first. <laughs> With, that, with the five months over, the world would be able to rejoice with Elizabeth without hesitation, without doubt. God really did what he promised he would do. God really gave Elizabeth her heart's desire. But what about these five months? What was Elizabeth doing for these five months? What does hiding oneself entail? Uh, Elizabeth was having an extended time of preparation for a baby she had waited for for a very long time long time. I don't doubt that this five months included things like knitting baby clothes and decorating the nursery or whatever, but I think Elizabeth was doing more important work as well. I think she was spending very serious time in prayer during this time. And we mentioned, we talked about silence a little bit. The silence was a judgment on Zacharias, but it's it's seen as kind of this mysterious virtue in Joseph, who never has a line, right? Well, Elizabeth's time is silent. We know that because her husband's not allowed to talk for another four months. <laughs> Okay, for this whole five months right here, he, he's not saying anything. And she goes away to her house in the Judean hill country and prepares quietly. She withdrew from society. And the scriptures are full of examples of this kind of withdrawal for the specific purpose of prayer and seeking the Lord. Now, one of the promises that was um, given concerning her son was that he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. You read about Elijah in 1 Kings, and you'll see that he was indeed powerful, the fire from heaven stuff, you know, that's like his signature move. But it's very clear that his power was given to him through extended periods of being very alone. Elijah is practically the standard for the ascetic retreat the departure from all society and comfort for the purpose of seeking the Lord. And I wonder if Elizabeth considered her departure to be similar to Elijah's years in the wilderness along with God. Her son was going to prepare Israel for the Lord. So I expect that Elizabeth, an Israelite herself, was using this time to prepare to meet the Lord. As she hid herself, I wonder if she prayed, Psalm 17 verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 27 verse 5, for he will hide me in the shelter, in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Actually, I don't have to wonder if Elizabeth read these psalms. She did. It was part of the Hebrews prayer book. They, they prayed the psalms. That's what she would have said. <laughs> And I believe Elizabeth knew the power and importance of spending time in a secret place. And I believe that this time may have been what prepared her for her joy to come. This hidden time is another kind of Elizabeth's emptiness. She's full now. She has the promise of God that she's clinging to, but it's still a type of emptiness, a type of wilderness where she has withdrawn. She's in the hill country of Judea, not a city She's not out in public. And again, her husband's not allowed to talk, so it's very peaceful at home. And we, and we see this, this theme of empty places being filled, the exact thing her son John the Baptist will make central to his preaching about making crooked ways straight, streams in the desert, preparing this way of the Lord in the wilderness. That's wilderness speaks of solitary, you know, being alone. During this time of being hidden away, Elizabeth considers her joy. But she does so in the context of her barrenness. Look at 25 again. Verse 25 says, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. She considers her barrenness, her emptiness, as a reproach among people. Now, that's not to say that she ever considered herself to be cursed by God or something like that. That's not what she says. But she does say the same thing that we can confess and probably put into a creedal form somehow. People are mean. Okay? People are cruel. Her neighbors, her acquaintances, maybe even some of her family may have heaped up this shame on Elizabeth for her barrenness. Perhaps even people with the best of motives, they might have, like Job's friends, suggested that Elizabeth's childlessness was due to some moral mistake or shortcoming on her part. Now we know from the scriptures that this is not the case, this is not how it works, but now she confesses that it is the Lord's will to remove her reproach among people. And in in that rejoicing, she is saying, people have reproached me for this. This has been a shameful thing to walk in, in public. There's a piece of the gospel that is unfortunately left out all too frequently, and that is that the the gospel has power to free us not only from guilt, but from shame. We understand the guilt aspect pretty well in our culture. Usually we sin, we know we sin, we know we deserve to be punished for the sin, we feel bad about the sin... And we're also pretty scared of the punishment part. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And it lifts the guilt of our sins from us. But wait, there's more. There's more to sin, and there's more to grace. There's more to sin. If guilt is the wound from sin, shame is the scar. And this can be from sins you commit or sins committed against you. You can feel shame for someone else's sin against you. And it is a beautiful piece of good news that the gospel deals with. That you can, you can feel shame for sins you've committed, even though you know you're legally and truly forgiven. You still remember the action. You still know it was bad. You still feel like the label may be stuck on you. You feel shame, even though you know that legally you're forgiven. The gospel can remove your shame. The scars, the after effects, the smell that lingers. The third week of Advent is traditionally about joy. In Elizabeth's life, the joy of the Lord is not just the reversal of sin. We don't ever read of any of Elizabeth's sins. We get some from Zechariah, right? He's he's rebuked. Joseph, kind of, not really a sin, but a mistake he was going to make, at least. The angel says, you don't need to divorce her. Go ahead, marry her. You know, there's correction. Elizabeth is never corrected. That's not to mean she's perfect or anything like that. There's plenty of people in the Bible that there's no recorded sin. Um, But in this story, that... Her hope, her joy, her restoration, how the gospel touches Elizabeth is not just from the forgiveness of sins. That's not the context for her joy. Her joy comes as the reversal of shame. Her joy is the result of a reproach being lifted from her. Rejoice in this. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. This says about Jesus, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to Elizabeth had to suffer under the reproach of others. That's not because of her sin. It's just because she lives in a sinful world with a bunch of sinners. And so do you. And they hurt you. And they'll keep doing it. And the promise is for you. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. The offenses against you don't have to stay. Now, Advent is about hope. It's about expectation. And while this joy of being set free from shame can be yours in Christ today, there's also a sense where we continually develop and cultivate the hope for complete freedom from even the shred of this kind of memory of sin that shame is. And Romans, again, speaks to this. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, ties this Advent truth up nicely with the book. It says, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts with the Holy Spirit. The rhythms in life of hope and fulfillment, of emptiness being filled, it's all prelude to a bigger hope that fills a bigger emptiness, a better fulfillment. Elizabeth hoped for a son, and she would receive a son. But this hope only stoked the fires for a greater hope, one she would encounter after the end of the five months. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby left in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why? Why? Is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Mm. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is great. This is great no matter which version of the Bible translation. I've read it from a couple already today, and they're they're good. (laughs) Um, Now this is after the five months Elizabeth spent hidden away. Back in verse 36 of Luke 1, it says that Mary didn't even get the angelic announcement until Elizabeth was six months alone. So this is, this is after. This is John's close. He's coming right around, you know, next month or so. Um, and we'll have to wait to hear more about Mary next week, but you're familiar with the basics, I'm sure. Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, The son of God and, perhaps the greatest mystery our minds have ever been asked to address, God himself. God in the flesh. Mary, a finite being, a created mortal teenager, was holding God-made flesh in her own body. Now, it is actually a heresy, and I don't use that term lightly, it is a heresy to think that Jesus was a man who became God through good decisions and clean living. Right? That's, that's not Christianity. That is an actual heresy with a name. He was not a man who became God. That's not what we believe. He was God who became man. That means that it wasn't as if Jesus became God at his birth, or at his resurrection, or at the Mount of Transfiguration, or at some imaginary age of accountability as a boy. Life begins at con- conception, right? Jesus was God from the moment he took up residence in Mary, and of course, before from eternity past. Mary held God within her in a way no other person ever has. Ever. Um, in, the, in the Eastern churches, the Eastern Orthodox churches, they have a nickname for Mary, Theotokos, which is the, the God bearer. And it's like, it was like, God's in in her. It's like, how can we say this? Like, we we have to have a special name for it, because it's special. It's one of a kind. This happened once in history. It will never happen again. Now, all that to say, when these two mothers-to-be meet, this meeting was unlike any two mothers ever meeting. (laughs) And Elizabeth, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the prompting of her unborn prophet son, John, is able to identify Mary not as her cousin, which she was, not as the mother of a prophet or the mother of a good teacher, but the mother of my Lord. And she she considers it an honor to be visited by Mary, an honor that's too great for her. As the carol sings about Bethlehem, it could be said of Mary, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee right now. Elizabeth cultivated hope and then was rewarded with joy. But she wasn't the first. John was the first. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to imagine this. Just imagine the scene. Elizabeth is inside. She's in her rocking chair, box special. Maybe as a baby shower gift. Maybe Joseph made it. Actually, there's no rocking chair in the text, so I shouldn't expect it. But she doesn't, she doesn't see Mary coming. Okay? She doesn't see. Maybe she's, she's not looking. She's not facing the doorway or the window. Maybe she's got her eyes closed. She's praying. She's resting. Okay? And then Mary comes in. Mary comes in the house and then offers a greeting, which shows what kind of friends they were. You've got friends, family, that don't need to knock. Right? The ones you know... That when you say the door is always open, you really meant the door is always open, and then they come in and then say hello. Mary's one of those friends who doesn't knock because she knows she's always welcome. She opens the door, comes in, and then says knock knock. Okay, Mary's got that relationship with Elizabeth, though she probably didn't say knock knock. Now it doesn't say what Mary's greeting was. It doesn't say what she said, but if it was a normal day, as we believe it was, and if these were normal people, and we believe they were then the normal greeting Mary would have spoken upon entering this home was, Shalom, peace. When the disciples were afraid, uneasy, locked in a house, someone else came in without knocking. Jesus comes in, unseen, unexpected, and he says, Peace to you. Now this this was a common greeting that the gospel brought to new life. In the gospel, peace is not mundane. It's not just a greeting. When Jesus would say, Peace, be still, actual storms actually cease. Now, Mary didn't have that kind of power, but she was, in a very real and very mysterious way, bringing actual peace into the room with her as she walked in, because she was bringing Jesus himself. She was bringing the Prince of Peace into the room with Elizabeth, and little baby John says, oh yeah, this this is what it's all about. Kick, kick, kick. Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting before she saw Mary, but John noticed Jesus before Elizabeth did. The baby leapt in her womb. That's John the Baptist. Back in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, the angel Gabriel, he tells Zacharias, John's father, that the baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. John was filled with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit testifies of Jesus You have two members of the Trinity in the same room, both inside pregnant ladies. Yeah. Now, this is the ministry of the Spirit of God. He testifies of Jesus. That's what he does. Jesus says, I'm sending a helper. It is he that testifies of me. And then one of the evidences of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is joy in Jesus. Hope, peace, shalom, joy. All three weeks of Advent so far can be seen in Elizabeth's experience. Hope for a child. Hope in the promises of God. Hope for a time when shame is lifted. Hope in a Savior. Peace in the arrival of the Savior in the most unusual way. In a baby. It's not even born yet. When Jesus walks in the room, He brings peace. And when you're with Him, there's rejoicing in your presence. is fullness of joy. Psalm 16. The Spirit of God We'll see to it that there is joy in the presence of Jesus. You have to appreciate that John is the first to recognize Jesus. Like, on earth, John was the first one, and it was before he was born. Like, I feel like that was... When, when, your, when your peak performance is before your first birthday, when <laughs> all down, you know, like but, but this, this may be his best thing. This may be John's best move. Um... But this speaks very clearly about how God knows us before we were even born, how he had plans for us, was actively involved in our lives even before anyone else knew you existed. You're familiar with the words of Psalm 139, I'm sure. From verse 13 on it says, You, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O oh God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. That's all from the perspective of pre-born baby. <laughs> There's joy in knowing... That God takes pleasure in the unseen and in the small. We we do not despise the day of small things, and we value small lives as big gifts. God tells Jeremiah in, in the first chapter of Jeremiah verse five before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And God knew John and was with him even while he was being formed. And because of this closeness God had with John, John knew Jesus. If you want to see the value and sanctity of life before birth, look at John the Baptist, rejoicing in the womb in the presence of his Savior. There it is. Now it says in verse 45, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Joy. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Jesus walks in the room and everything changes. Jesus walks in the room and brings peace, and that's just the beginning. Because, as we've already said, Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This, this joyful exchange with Mary and Elizabeth and John and Jesus, these are foretaste of glory divine. It's just showing what it's going to be like, but more, but better. To be in the presence of Jesus is to have the fullness of joy. And Elizabeth, John's mother, rejoices in the same spirit, with the same spirit, through the same spirit of God. After John leaps, it says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the language used of people like the prophets in the Old Testament, or mighty men like Samson before he does something really cool. It's the language used in Acts to describe the apostles before a sermon, they would see 5,000 people saved or people healed and demons cast out. This is the stuff of power and miracles and heaven coming to earth. But again, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. And that same power that raises the dead gives Elizabeth joy at a resurrection level. That, that's the fruit that seems to be the Spirit's favorite at this moment, joy. The baby rejoices, he's dancing in there. The mother rejoices. The spirit of God rejoices. Mary uh, sings this spontaneous song after this about how God has blessed her, called the Magnificat, after this. Now you know God is better at doing anything that's worth doing, right? If something is worth doing, God's the best at it. He's the best, which means he rejoices perfectly. To the nth degree. He enjoys perfectly, the most, better than you. You'll never be happier than God, ever. You'll never be more joyful than the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength, but the joy of the Lord is His character. It's just who He is. He's a God who rejoices, and the incarnation is the coming of God Himself to dwell with His people in the flesh. It makes it makes sense that this advent, this arrival, would be marked with almost ridiculous joy. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and she speaks Rather, she shouts forth words that are uniquely inspired by the Lord himself. This is prophecy that Elizabeth speaks. These aren't words that she came up with beforehand or concluded using her own good sense. The angel didn't tell Elizabeth, by the way, the Messiah is coming, and Mary has him right now. She speaks the words of God given to her from the Spirit of God. Verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then in verse 45, it says, And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. These blesseds, there's three blesseds here. The word blessed can seem very spiritual, maybe even a bit Christianese, Hashtag blessed. Okay. Uh, that is simplest. The word carries the idea of happiness. There's more to it, of course, but some Bible teachers when teaching the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount have pointed out when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek. He is saying, oh, how happy are the poor. How happy are the peacemakers. They're following that line of thought. <coughs> Elizabeth is saying, how happy are you among women? How happy is the fruit of your womb? How happy is she who believed? Now, that one who believed, that's Mary for sure, but in a secondary way, it can refer to Elizabeth, who also believed in the promises of God. And in a more applicable way, this principle can apply to you as well, if you are the one who believes. Now, of course, the idea of blessing is more than just happiness. To be blessed is to receive honor. Blessings are given and received. This certainly fits the idea with the second blessing especially well. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, that's Jesus. He is honored and glorified, all power, glory, honor to him. But I want you to see how well this fits with the theme of joy. Elizabeth, being filled with the Spirit, sees joy in Mary. She sees joy in Jesus, yet unborn. And she sees joy in the one who believes in the promises of God. To be blessed is to receive the joy that comes from the presence of the Lord. And Elizabeth, who has been known to this point as an empty person, a sterile, barren woman, who had been subject to all the reproach and ridicule that comes with that, was not filled, not just with the joy of the Lord, but with the Spirit of the Lord Himself, who revealed to her the glory and joyful majesty of what was in front of her. It wasn't just her cousin Mary, not anymore. No, this was the most blessed among women. It wasn't just a new member of the family. It was the mother of Christ and Christ Himself. My Lord, she says, you're bringing God to me. So she says, nice and loud, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed. We've got to wait for further discussion on that first blessed until next week, um, which we will do. When We'll see how blessed Mary is. But in the first week, if you can remember back, when we looked at Zacharias and we talked about hope, I pointed out that his unbelief is intentionally contrasted to Mary's faith. Luke seems to be doing all this on purpose. Gabriel told Zacharias, "You didn't believe," and Elizabeth tells Mary, "Blessed is the one who believed. Blessed is she who believed." Mary is the one who received the word from the Lord directly, and as far as we know, Elizabeth didn't. But as we see this scene of Elizabeth doing, being the one who's shouting, and Elizabeth's baby is the one that's doing the dancing, we see that as Elizabeth shouts and uh, about how blessed. Mary and Jesus are. It is Elizabeth that is doing all the rejoicing. She's rejoicing because she too believed in the coming Savior. Perhaps more than anyone on the planet at that time, Elizabeth is rejoicing in the coming of the Savior. So we, we stand in line behind her and we follow Elizabeth towards joy. I want to be following these people that we've been studying for Advent. I picture Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph leading us to Jesus. Zechariah teaches us about hope and longing, and so does Elizabeth. In the silence of Joseph and the quiet, determined obedience of the Father of Jesus, we see a way of of peace through faithfulness and peace uh, peace and quiet. Elizabeth takes us through the same route, from hope and longing to peace in a quiet place, on to this place of celebration, with joy unspeakable. Unspeakable, only shoutable it's joy that's only shoutable Elizabeth's story ends with this triple blessing triple blessedness these oh how happy moments and we see in Elizabeth the gospel method of attaining this kind of joy and in, in commending Mary and telling her how blessed she is, she identifies the Bible's path to joy and it's one that she herself walked in, blessed is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was, what was spoken from the Lord that's, that's your path to joy we're all familiar with salvation by grace through faith. Hopefully, you should be. We know faith is our access point to the riches of Christ. We know faith is important, but if you'll remember the week we talked about Zechariah, sometimes we forget how great the joy of the Lord is and underestimate His ability and His intention, His willingness to bless us above and beyond all that we would ask or imagine. We have salvation by grace through faith. We also have a salvation of joy that is also by faith, that's through faith. We have a salvation of joy through faith. And in Advent, a season of preparation, we prepare for Christ and Christmas. And like Lent in preparation for Easter, Advent does have an emptiness about it, uh, but not a sorrowful one. We are the blessed who hunger and thirst. We are the blessed poor, the blessed meek, knowing we have nothing apart from you, but you're giving all of yourself to us. My righteousness is nothing apart from you. I'm completely empty unless Christ fills me up and I have all the faith that he will fill me up completely. We are the blessed who believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. We come into his presence where there is fullness of joy let's pray Lord we we believe you we believe that you want to bless us we believe that in your presence is joy and our souls magnify the Lord and our spirits rejoice in God our Savior who has regarded our lowly estate And, and God we are blessed we are blessed to have you with us you have done great things for us you have shown your strength in a in a strange place, in a small place, in a manger, in your incarnation. And and you filled the hungry. You know? We're hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and you've filled us with good things. Thank you that your thoughts towards us are good. They would outnumber the sand. Thank you for knowing us and calling us, even to yourself. We pray that we would. Uh, have the ability to follow these saints in expectation in hope towards joy, towards the joy that is in your presence. Thank you for your generosity to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.